Gaz. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Um, as Gaz says, it's, uh, my name's Julie, and I'm so happy to be here. It's been a bit of a week um, of having like a really dreadful cold that, that's been going around, and now my whole family have got it. So they're at home, and I'm climbing out of the trenches. Um, actually, on, on Wednesday, Thursday, I, I um, was sick as a dog, and I said to Taryn, my husband, I'm like, I'm tapping out. I cannot preach on Sunday. And he was like, no problem. I'll do it. And then on Friday, he tapped out and tagged me back in. And he said, I will not be able to do this because he could see I was getting better. So, um, so it's been quite a week, but I really am so excited to be here. Happy Mother's Day for those of um, you that are mothers or have mothers. Um, personally, um, I'm not a huge gift person. I'm not uh, uh, words are my thing, so I love cards and that. Um, and so I um, wasn't too disappointed when I woke up this morning to get ready for this morning, and there was just some handmade cards and one gift from all five of my children, which is definitely from someone's old party pack. <laughs> but it was wrapped in about 16 layers of wrapping paper. And um, I had one card from Sam, and he's still learning how to how to write, and it said, um, thank you for taking me in. And I was like, Sam, what do you mean? He said, no, tucking me in, tucking me in. So I was like, okay, okay, great. And, um, and then he very excitedly told me that while I'm away now, um, as I am now, they are gonna be planning an escape room for me, which first horrified me, and then I actually realized this could be amazing because I'm gonna be, they said, I'm gonna be locked in a room with hints for an hour, and I've gotta try and escape. And I said, will, will there be a blanket and my, can I take my book in there? And they said, yes. So, this is gonna be amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna not look for any hints. I'm just gonna um, not escape for a whole hour. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, so that's me and my little crew. And um, if, you've, if you knew, welcome. And if you've been here for a while, you know we are tracking the life of Abraham, the original faith pioneer of our faith. He is the, um, he's the genesis of not just Christianity, but in some ways Islam and Judaism too. And, um, and we're looking at his life. And it's just been wonderful to take this time to see what happened uh, in the breadth of one life. Um, just just thinking about some of the things and the breadcrumbs along the way that, I, that have stuck with me over the last few, few weeks. Sipukazi shared a few weeks ago. And um, what stuck with me is, is how we're part of a body that's bigger than just us in this room. We're part of, of God's bride, and we mustn't forget the beautiful parts of her that aren't in this room. We mustn't forget the poor. And also the generation's long impact of our choices now. I was struck by that when Sipukazi shared about how Sarai's treatment of Hagar might not have really impacted her right then, but it led a few generations later to one of her offspring being sold into slavery by one of Ishmael's. Just like um, bad treatment, just like she had treated her slave. And then, um, so our generation, our impacts so our decisions have generation-long impacts. 
Um, then Dave, before that, he shared about the battle of the five kings. And, and in that, there was something I felt prophetic um, that he got to about the next generation and the battle over their lives and perhaps how they're not the next generation, they're the now generation and how God's got something for them now and something for us through them. And then Taryn last night, uh, last week, shared about how sometimes God withdraws his felt presence from us. Um, and we go through empty, dry seasons, and yet sometimes God moves in power. And um, I think all of those together are so beautiful. It's not one or the other. And so for me, as I reflect on the last few weeks, I think through this journey of Abraham's life, we're learning that God has not forgotten the young. God has not forgotten the poor, and God has not forgotten you, even you, even when you feel weary and maybe sick and maybe broken and maybe forgotten. And this week, we're continuing with that theme. We're continuing with the chapter that Terence started last week and picking up at verse 9 of chapter 17. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come by circumcising every male among you. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, so before we continue any further, gents, aren't you glad that the New Testament exists after this. <laughs> Otherwise, on this special day, on Mother's Day, we could be celebrating a very different sacrament. Or can you imagine how different our welcome dinners could look if all the new believers um, had to go through, especially the gents, this um, sign of the, of the covenant of circumcision. Wow. Um, thankfully, the new covenant does exist. And it doesn't necessitate this outward sign Instead, um, it becomes an internal sign, and it uses this um, picture of circumcision um, as a symbol of something that is even more necessary for men and women believers alike. We fast forward a few thousand generations, and the new covenant equivalent for Christians also focuses on a cutting out, but it's of our hearts. Paul says it like this in Colossians, Colossians 2 verse 11. In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your old self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh or heart, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Isn't that beautiful? For the Christian, circumcision is no longer literal, but rather it speaks of our salvation as God's gift of a new heart and a new nature. He cuts out our sinful heart and he gives us a new one a new capacity to trust and obey him. And um, this is really wonderful to hear. We find in our midst that God isn't worried about our externals, right? It's not about how we look, what we dress like. He goes much deeper. And although each of us is made in his image, 
and we have a unique purpose for our unique lives. There is a part of our old selves that must be cut off and thrown away. And this is painful at times. When we come to God and we rest in his hands, we are not left who we used to be. There is a cutting. But here's the great news. It's not of anything vital. It's a part of us that's, that's like gangrenous flesh. That's dead already and actually just poisoning the rest of us. God cuts off that part in his mercy and his great kindness. Does this mean that from the moment we call ourselves Christ's and we put our lives in his hands that we no longer can sin or feel tempted to sin? If you've been a Christian for longer than five minutes, you'll know absolutely not. But it does mean that the, that the core, the center, the, the zero um, location of the infection has been cut away. It's not going to kill us anymore. Our hearts have been circumcised in Christ. So let's move on to Genesis 17, 15, verses 15 to 16. God also then said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. There are a few things I want to point out from these few verses. And the first is this, that sometimes God's greatest blessings to us look like barriers at first. Sometimes God's greatest blessings to us look like barriers. We tend to look at these stories of Abraham and Sarah, especially going through this series, and it can seem like an action movie, right? Just one climactic scene after the next. There's this moon worshiper living in Ur, and then he gets whisked off to Haran, and then Canaan, and there's these battles, and God keeps on visiting him, like in such vivid power, speaking so loudly and audibly to him. It must have been so easy, right, to just follow the dots. So unlike our own lives, our ordinary, undramatic lives, where the gaps between those dots, they sometimes feel so gaping, where God might have intervened once and spoken, but, but not recently. And there's still so much obscurity and there's so much that doesn't make sense. But here's a great timeline I want to show you, if you put up the next slide. Um, showing the gaps between Abraham's big God moments. And um, I'm not going to go through it, but it's just quite important to realize this wasn't like every week God was rocking up um, incarnate and um, having these incredible covenant encounter moments with Abraham and Sarah. There's 30 years between when he first calls Abraham and when Isaac is born. There's 25 years between when he first explicitly promises Abraham and Sarah that they're gonna have a child, that's gonna, um, that's descendants are gonna outnumber the stars and it's gonna bless the, the whole world through their descendants. And it's 25 years before that is fulfilled. 
just like in our own lives, there are still huge gaps. And there's a lot of ordinary in-betweens, countless days where God did not speak. And where Abraham and Sarah woke up and got on with the ordinary, mundane lives that they lived in, in their time and place. And even though God had promised such prolific things and shown himself to be so powerful, again and again delivering them, most days were still pretty ordinary. And Abraham and Sarah were still not sure how God was going to do this amazing thing that he'd promised as days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and months, years, and then years, decades. They must have thought that maybe this big family that he promised um, would start through a different way. And, and, and we see that through the story, maybe through this illicit relationship with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. Or, or maybe through Abe's favorite manservant. Or maybe through Lot, his nephew. Maybe they thought sometimes as they looked up at those stars that God had promised would one day represent their descendants. Maybe they thought this child's just going to be beamed down from one of those stars. But God wasn't going to do something like that. He was going to use them, just like he'd said, plain, old, ordinary them. Just as they were, fraught with failure and fear at times and cynicism. Still, God wanted Abraham to see in, in these verses his wife, who maybe he'd seen as a barrier. His old, probably very weary, he even says infertile wife, not as the barrier, but as his fellow heir and partner in the promise. And even more than that, as the only true access and gateway to the fulfillment of that promise. You see, Abraham all, had all these buts, but my wife, Sarah, in his life, and I, I wonder what the buts are in your life. When, when God sometimes gives you a glimpse of how he wants to use you or how he sees you, what are the buts in your life that you say, but, and I wonder if they're going to be the places where God wants to break through. What is staring you in the face that feels like an obstacle, but just might be the pathway to some of God's fulfilled promises and blessings in you and through you? For me, I'm just going to be vulnerable, and I, I did get Terrence okay with this. Sometimes my own marriage can feel like an obstacle. And if you read between the lines with Abraham and Sarah's relationship, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Sometimes I feel like it's an obstacle to me looking and living like a wonderful, gentle, happy, loving Christian. Because God's put me beside this person that's sometimes so unlovable <laughs> and brings out such unlovable parts of me. I would be so much more Christ-like if I didn't have to deal with the stuff I have to deal with. Sometimes the sheer ordinariness and tiring drudgery of my life and domestic um, things that need to be sorted out and class WhatsApp groups. Do you know, I'm on eight of those guys because there's different ones, you know, and, and the endless to-do lists, they feel like an obstacle to like me being everything I'm meant to be. And then I remember France. <clears throat> Some of you um, might know, but this time exactly, actually to the day and the week, 
a year ago, I was not here. I had been beamed out of my ordinary mundane life, and I spent three weeks, 21 days, away from my family in France um, for my 40th. And I had been planning this for about 12 years. <laughs> I basically um, always thought I was going to get married later than I got married. I got married at 21. I always thought I would go and um, travel the world and, and have like quite a, uh, a big career moment. And then I always planned to come back and, you know, do the other stuff in my, in my 30s. And I was married by 21 and I had five kids by 32. So that's, that's the wildness of God, right? You can't control sometimes your life. And I loved it all. But I remember thinking I just wanted to, to travel Europe a bit on my own. And I said for quite a few years before my 40th, okay, Taryn, you go on some of your boys surfing weeks away and that. But when I turn 40, I want to go for quite a long time just on my own because um, Taryn wants to like squeeze every bit out of every day, you know, and he wants to often just be by the sea. And I wanted to like kind of like just meander around parks and museums and um, old parts of the city and just read my book under a tree, eating some cheese, you know, that kind of thing. So, I, and also if he came, then we'd have to like have massive childcare, you know, things in place. So I said, you stay, I just want to be there. And I just knew I was going to just have the time of my life. You know, this is what, this is how I was always meant to be, you know. And then I was there and it, and it wasn't as wonderful as I thought it was going to be. I had so much anxiety that I first had to confront, which I feel like was part of my journey of just detoxing from this adrenaline treadmill that I'd lived on. So I don't regret going. It was really important, but it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't how I thought it was going to be. And for most of the time, I just pined for my life, <laughs> for my people, for my ordinary, busy, mundane life. I missed the ordinariness of it so much. And I found myself in parks um, just watching other little families and just like weeping. <laughs> oh, look at those little kids. They're so beautiful. And, um, and it was really, it was really um, a wake-up call for me. I'm glad I went. It was wonderful. Uh, but I remember getting home, and the day I got home, I, I hugged my kids, and that night... I didn't get to sleep in my bed after like a grueling two-day journey back. I slept um, in one of those awful broken leather seats in a hospital next to Charlie, one of my youngest, because two days before he'd slept on a rake and it started to become very infected and travel up his legs, so he had to be on IV antibiotics. And instead of grumbling about it, I just felt so privileged. I felt so privileged to be um, in this life you know, in this uncomfortable chair because it was mine. This was my life. And that, after that we, got, we spent two days there and I got discharged and back into the craziness of life with five kids. And on the Saturday morning, I had to take Ivy to this dancing show and I was in this musty hall watching other girls dance. And normally I'd just be going like, when is my daughter gonna come on? You know, like, oh, this is the whole morning. And I just sat there crying, going, this is... This is more beautiful than the lakes of Annecy. <laughs> These little girls watching them dance and, and watching my girl dance. <laughs> and um, this was my life. And this is my life. 
And perhaps I'm aware that some of you might feel the exact opposite in your life. Perhaps you feel like Sarah, that that's what you thought was going to happen with your life, you know? There's going to be all these kids or the spouse that was going to irritate you, and, and actually your life feels like mine did in France, maybe quite empty in those regards. It's the lack of the, of the above that, that, that feels like a barrier. Sometimes God's greatest blessings to us start out looking like barriers. But also, this is my second point, I've only got three. In the midst of the ordinary, look for the gold. In the midst of her ordinary life, Sarai's barrenness had no doubt brought her great suffering. She must have wondered, God's love and plan for my husband is obvious, but does he care about me? Now God explicitly for the first time promises her that in fact the promised child will come from her body. And he changes her name from Sarai to Sarah. What is the significance of this change? Well, I found this one commentary uh, that explained that like a few verses earlier, which Taryn shared last week, where God changed Abraham's name to Abraham, he now changes Sarai to Sarah. And in both cases, God adds a to their name. And this is what the commentary said. I found this amazing. Following God's confirmation of his covenant promises, God chose to give Abraham a new name. From this point forward, Abraham, which means great father, would be named Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And Sarai, which means honored mother, would be named Sarah, which means princess or mother of rulers of nations. By adding the Hebrew letter into both of their names, God was adding his breath into their story and into their very identities. Isn't that beautiful? The, the commentary goes on and it says, is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When spoken, it sounds like our letter H. In Hebrew, every letter has meaning and this letter means breath or sigh. The letter when spoken, makes a breathy sound, and therefore it is said to represent the breath of God, which we also understand to be the Holy Spirit. So by adding to Abraham and Sarah, God wasn't just giving them a new name, but the breath of his life too, the presence of his Holy Spirit. Isn't that so beautiful? In the middle of her ordinary name, God's breath. In the middle of her pain and disappointment and not yet met dreams, right now, her name's been changed, God's breathed over her life, she's still not pregnant. God's breath. In the midst of lack and gaps, gold. In the midst of the ordinary, look for the gold. I haven't got this in my notes, but I just felt um, to say in the midst of gaps, there is grace. We've all got gaping gaps in some parts of our lives. None of us have been spared from that. In some area of our lives, there's gaps. 
but there's also grace there. And I just feel like for some of us, we need to actually um, really just receive that now, not just for our own lives, but for perhaps our pasts and some of our regrets as parents maybe, or as partners where there have been gaps that maybe even feel like gaping wounds, or maybe we feel like we've inflicted them. There's grace and there's gold in the gaps. I'm reminded of that beautiful picture in the New Testament of us being like jars of clay. There's cracks, there's gaps, but that's where God's spirit and his breath and his gold shine through. Let God into those gaps. There is grace in those gaps for you and for the people in your life that you are not completely um, uh, being everything perhaps to them that they wish you could be. There's grace in those gaps for them to find God and his grace. There is grace in the gaps. I'm reminded of Abraham and Sarah here, how they must have um, disappointed one another. I mean, Abraham certainly, if you track his story, he's been a bit of a disappointing husband and partner. He sold his wife kind of to two different kings twice and pretended that um, she was his sister. He's, he's at the behest of Sarah, uh, slept with her maidservant, and there's an illegitimate child now. Um, there's disappointment, certainly, toward Abraham from Sarah. And likewise, Sarah is barren. Not, not um, her fault, but she's barren. That's a, that's a disappointing thing for Abraham. And yet there's gold in those gaps. There's grace for both of them. Also, um, I, I love here how, how both Abraham and Sarah have been given new names. It's both of them that God breathes over into a fiercely patriarchal world and time, God seems to pay no mind to it and bestows on his daughter the same kind of promises that he does his son. I'm guessing Sarah was feeling pretty overlooked and forgotten after decades of barrenness and disappointment. And I'm guessing some of us in the room might feel the same, overlooked, forgotten, taken for granted. And yet God gives her a mirror promise to that of her husband. Isn't that beautiful? It's not, it's not less, it's actually word for word the same. And just notice how her-centric it is. I'm just gonna read it again. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Sarah gets reminded, it's still you, Sarah. You've not been forgotten. It's not just your husband or all those people around you. It's still you. And it's still you, friends. It's still you, Kath. It's still you, Jenneth. It's still you, Tebs, in the back there. It's still you. Sometimes God seems to take us again and again around the same mountains, right? Because this isn't the first time that God has promised this. And I don't know why sometimes it feels like these things take so long to get to the end of their uh, fulfillment, right? Um, 
And sometimes it feels like we're learning the same lessons again and again. It feels so inefficient. And yet, we heard that beautiful psalm today by Zeander. Like, he leads us like a shepherd. And shepherds aren't efficient. <laughs> they aren't going from one place to the next. They're meandering through good pastures and by quiet streams. Maybe because it's not about getting to the finish line as quickly as we can. It's about finding God in the messy middle. And it's about him changing us and forming us through this meandering route. Joseph, uh, a few generations later, lands up in jail and it's not his fault. And he spends years in there. And he, he's as obedient as he can. And he keeps on saying to cupbearers and king's advisors, remember me. And it takes seven years, I think. I haven't looked at it recently. And then there's this preposterous, audacious word. It says, suddenly, Joseph was released. And I'm like, that's not really suddenly, God. And yet sometimes suddenly's come after a long, slow season. God doesn't lead us in a straight line. Maybe because like Steph so beautifully was led by the Spirit to sing because it's in those times where our lives don't turn out like we thought uh, that we brought to our knees. And instead of acting, we wait and then God acts. And, and in that space where, where there's gaps, we find that we want nothing. We want for nothing because we've got Him. Genesis 17 carries on in verse 17. This is my last point. Let's read. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? He also said, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. This is God's reply. Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So thanks to us knowing the whole story, we know that within a year, Sarah is going to give birth to a beautiful baby boy, and they're going to call him Isaac, and they're going to laugh, but this time not with cynicism and disbelief, with just joy, like we heard this morning, the joy of seeing how God's story has finally uh, makes sense, and his promise has been fulfilled, and so here's my final thought for this morning. Sometimes God's greatest blessings look like barriers at first. Yet in the midst of the ordinary, in the midst of the gaps, there's grace and gold. And thirdly, expect the unexpected. The thrill of it happening, finally happening, just as God had promised, right? And yet, and yet, as much as Abraham and Sarah had surely dreamt of this moment and envisaged it, the reality is not exactly how they would have anticipated for one thing, the timing, 
right? I don't think when they first got that promise 25 years ago, they were thinking, great, anytime now in the next 25 years, it's going to happen. And second, Abraham here seems a little exasperated with God. He hardly can believe it. First of all, he laughs and kind of like says in disbelief, really, God, I'm 100, my wife's 90, she's never born a child. I'm not certain that's possible now. Uh, can't you make a plan with the son I've, I've already managed to work out with Hagar? God, um, no offense, but you've taken your time and I've actually got a great plan B. Can't you just bless that plan rather? And while God is gracious enough to esteem Ishmael and give him a line, it's, it's not the line that God has intended and he makes that clear. And I'm guessing Abraham must have had a mixed response emotionally here. One, joy, wow, okay, so it's really still gonna happen. And two, um, a little bit of disappointment that his boy Ishmael isn't gonna be the heir. And also a bit of pain, because straight after this verse, there's an actual literal circumcision <laughs> that he has to go under and he has to do with all his manservants and his boy Ishmael. Still today, the unfolding of God's plan in our lives will exceed our expectations, and sometimes surprise us altogether. Because God is not our cosmic butler, friends, he's God. And he loves to remind us that he loves us and he's also in control. We're not as in control as we thought. In some ways it might wildly exceed our expectations and in others like Abraham leave us a bit exasperated and maybe even hurt. <laughs> final thought, the final plot twist in this expecting of the unexpected is that it turns out you are a child of promise. Not the child of promise, but one who gets to be an heir from Sarah and Abraham's line. You see, Sarah would give birth to this child of promise, right, Isaac, and in his line would come Jesus, the ultimate child of promise on whom the hope of the whole world rests. And yet, they just got a glimpse, Abraham and Sarah, of what we get to live in. There's a verse um, in the New Testament that says, angels long to look into these mysteries for thousands of years. They didn't know how this was all gonna work out. What was God gonna do? And we live on the fulfillment side of that where we know. And there's this um, verse in Acts that says, in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. I don't know what, what comes to mind when you think of that verse, but for me, I think of a child in utero <laughs> because there's no better picture of someone living and moving in another, right? And then it even confirms that by saying we are his offspring. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who God is. Isn't that wild? Friends, this story isn't just meant to inspire us like, wow, wasn't Abraham and Sarah special? It's meant to surprise us that actually the story doesn't end with them or even with Jesus, the child of promise. It it comes right into our own hearts and into our own lives. And in closing, I feel like God wants 
us to sit with this and to sink into our own stories a little, that this is his story after all, and to inhabit our lives and our disappointments and our gaps and remember our promises and the promises from God in that. I started off by um, talking in the beginning of this verse about uh, God giving this sign and symbol of circumcision that then becomes symbolic in the New Testament. And Joel, a prophet hundreds of years after Abraham, also speaks about us circumcising our hearts by God's Spirit. And there's that initial salvation circumcision of our hearts, right? But then there's a, there's a gradual and an ongoing and a, and a regular coming to God and letting Him cut off the coldness and the hardness in our hearts and the deadness. And I think that's what he was doing with Abraham and Sarah in this part of the story. And I think he's been doing that already this morning and I feel like he wants to continue doing that by reminding us that we are children of promise. We're not the child, but that child, Jesus, he inhabits us and he inhabits our lives and he wants to work through our lives and in our lives. When we think about Jesus arriving in Cape Town, we can think about him arriving in sandals, perhaps, in like a Hessian robe, like that guy from The Chosen, perhaps. But he's here already. And I, I wonder if you can all just look down at your feet. I'm guessing there's not many sandals but look at look at the the shoes you chose to wear and maybe your toes if they're sticking out these are the feet Jesus chose to inhabit if you have put your life in Jesus if in him you live and move and have your being and these are the feet that he wants to walk around in and make his presence known in the city of Cape Town in Isn't that wild? The promise doesn't end with Abraham and Sarah. It, it comes right through to your own life. I wonder if you can close your eyes and, um, and if you're comfortable, put your hands on your eyes. These are the eyes that Jesus wants to inhabit. <laughs> He wants to give you eyes that see the world the way he sees it. He wants to look through them. And he wants you to look through your eyes with, the, with new sight and see the people he's put in your life. I feel like for some of you, you're gonna see people that have always been there, but that you have almost, they've almost been invisible to you. I wonder if you can put your hands on your mouth. This is not just your mouth. It's the mouth through which Jesus wants to speak to his world. I wonder what words he wants to speak through your life this week. And, and to who and in what spaces. Maybe it's office blocks. Maybe it's classrooms. Maybe it's... <clears throat> 
in the um, sanctity of your own home with those closest to you. Friends, let's remember that the story of Sarah and Abraham reminds us that God has not forgotten us. Do not forget who you are and whose you are. Do not forget who you carry. And much more importantly, who carries you into this week. Amen.